I don't know if you've noticed, but we as a people, we, we tend to read labels more often these days, like food labels and all that, like checking out what ingredients are in there. I mean, like, so for example, back in the day, we ate these things right here. Keith, if you would. Twinkies. Golden sponge cake with creamy filling. You already know it's not healthy, right? And these suckers can, fit, can sit on a store shelf for a decade with no refrigeration and be absolutely fine. Like, if you have to read the label to figure out that's going to kill you, you ain't so bright, right? Like, like, those things are obviously going to kill you. Now, I do think there is wisdom in kind of watching out what additives are in there and what toxins and all that. Actually, they say that everything is toxic. It's just a matter of amounts. Anything you take in excess can hurt you. And so really what they look for is, like, if you can have some toxic, it's so toxic that you only need a wee little bit, then it's called a poison, okay? And so there are poisons like cyanide. Cyanide is actually a lightweight in the poison category. It's child's play. Worse than that is ricin. Ricin, now that's serious stuff. Up from that is iocane powder. Okay, I made that, that's Princess Bride, right? That's fictional, that doesn't exist. That's not real, that's not real. But then the most toxic substance known to man at this point is something called botulinum toxin. I don't know, even know if I'm saying that correctly. But it's very, very, very poisonous. So you only need one nanogram per gram of body weight for it to be lethal. I'm sorry, that was math, right? It's not only math, it's metric math, right? And it's Sunday morning, stop, stop, okay? So let me break it down for you. Here's what it means. It means all you need is point zero 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 one gram, and it's lethal. That's like an infinitesimally small amount. Like that is nothing, and it becomes lethal. So here's what I did. I have this very large glass of water, and it was completely pure water. But I took just one drop of botulinum toxin and put it in here. Okay, not really. Where would I, where would I buy that? I have no idea, right? Like even if I knew where to buy it, I'd go, hey, I need some of that. Like, we can't give that to you. It's for a sermon. Get out! Go away. All right. But if I did, like, let's say I put a drop in here, nobody would drink this. And we'd say, well, wait a minute, pastor, come on. Like, it's like 99.9999% pure water. It's just one little drop. But here's the thing. You add anything to it, and it goes from pure to poison. And it goes from life-giving and refreshing. It becomes deadly. You just need to add one little drop. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly the way it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same exact thing. It is, the gospel needs to be pure to actually work. And when we add just one nanogram of anything else to the gospel, it becomes, well, it goes from pure to poison. And it goes from life-giving to deadly. And it's just not a good thing. The gospel only works if it is 100% pure with no additives. And I bring that up because today we're starting a journey through the book of Galatians. I'm going to go through that over the summer. And you can see pure gospel, no additives. That's what we're doing. Now, 
Let me set the book up by giving you some history. We're going to start with Paul. Paul is the author of the letter called Galatians that is in your New Testament. If you remember, before Paul was even a Christian, uh, Paul is a Jew. Paul loved being Jewish. And as part of that, he hated Gentiles. Those are non-Jews. That is pure racism right there. But that was very common. Most Jews hated non-Jews. Paul was among them. He, he loved the Jewish law, though. The Jewish rules, what it means to be Jewish. Actually, Paul was a Pharisee. So that means like he is super religious, super self-righteous, absolutely keeps all the Jewish laws. Loves the Jewish laws, but another thing Paul hated was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he was around when Jesus was crucified and the gospel started getting legs. Paul hated the God. So he actually was one of the chief persecutors of the church at the time. He went around capturing Christians, putting them in prison, having them beaten, and even watching as they were killed. Paul was an enemy of the gospel. But what happened is he was on the road to go arrest some more Christians, and God interrupted his mess. And God invaded his life and took him from Pharisee to faith in Christ. And Paul then became a missionary, taking that very gospel he hated to mainly to Gentiles, the people he formerly hated. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what he did is he went on these mission trips. Here's a map of one of his first mission trips. You see on the right there in yellow, that's Syria. Up towards the top of it is Antioch. Now that was, there was a church there that was Paul's sending church that sent him out. So his first trip, he followed the blue line. He went west through the Mediterranean to Cyprus, then again by ship up to Pamphylia, and then north from there he went into that green region is labeled Galatia. Okay, time out. What I want you to catch already is when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's not writing to a city. He's writing to a region that includes many cities in which there were churches. So this is a letter to several churches, not just to one. But Paul's habit was he'd go into a city. So you see he went into Antioch. So there's two Antiochs. This is Pisidian Antioch. So he went to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those Galatian cities. And his habit is he'd go into a city. He'd spend some time there planning a church. Once it was stable, he'd then go on to the next city. Plan a church, move on. Plan a church, move on. Here's the problem. Once Paul moved on, opponents moved in. They were called Judaizers. Okay? They came from Jerusalem, so they go up north through Syria. There's a Roman road that cut right through southern Galatia. And they go along that road, and they go into the town, and they said Paul got it wrong. And their message was basically this. Hey, listen, we're from Jerusalem. That's like real HQ. Paul's based out of Antioch. That's not the real deal. Okay? And we come from the real apostles. Now, I'll talk in a bit about apostles, but basically the leaders of the church, they're in Jerusalem. We're from the real guys. You understand, like, Paul's not a real apostle. He's kind of JV, you know, and, and, and bless his heart. I mean, bless his heart. He's well-intentioned. He got a lot of things right, but at the same time, remember, he was a persecutor of the church. Like, you don't want to trust in his gospel, do you? You don't want to hook your wagon to his horse. That's crazy. He's JV. So we represent true Christianity. Like Paul didn't give you the full story. 
And, and so we're going to give you the full story. We're mature. We're serious. We're real. We're committed Christians. And here's the part Paul left out. And you got to understand this. You, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, you cannot become a Christian unless you first become a Jew. So to be a good Christian, you have to keep all the Jewish rules. And Paul left that out, and we're here to correct it. Okay, so that's the Judaizers. That's their message. Now, f- to us today, we go, well, that's ridiculous, right? We get that. But hold on, time out. You've got to dial it back 2,000 years and understand something about the birth of Christianity. Like, look at this list. Jesus is Jewish, okay? He is the Jewish Messiah, his recorded ministry, he spent the overwhelming amount of his ministry was in Israel. He called and chose his disciples from the Jews. Okay, the scriptures at the time, we call it the Old Testament, it was just called the Jewish scriptures. They were Jewish scriptures, that's it. Jesus was fulfilling those scriptures. The church began in Jerusalem. The gospel went first to the Jews, and not only in Israel, but even on Paul's missionary journeys. When he went to a Roman city, the first thing he would do there is find the Jewish synagogue. He'd start there. What I want you to catch from that is that it was, Christianity was not viewed as a separate religion from Judaism. It was viewed as the fulfillment of Judaism. Even today, when a Jew comes to faith in Christ, sometimes that Jewish Christian will call herself a completed Jew. Right? So that's what's going on. Now, into that context, the question comes, what, what happens when a Gentile comes to faith in Christ? How Jewish do they need to be? Okay, so like Jews had the kosher diet, a lot of rules about food. Do Gentiles who become Christians have to follow the kosher diet? You have no idea how important this question is. Bacon is on the line. Do you understand the seriousness of this? Based on how Paul answers this, we either get to eat bacon or not. This is very, very important, okay? So the kosher diet, that is one of the things in in the crosshairs here. Another issue is fellowship. Can a Gentile Christian and a Jewish Christian share a meal together? Or is the Jewish Christian defiled by eating with a Gentile as Jewish tradition teaches? Will the Gentiles be the red-headed stepchildren of the Christian family? My wife's father is a red-headed stepchild. I love that phrase. So, anyway, but, but that's the question. Like, all, will Gentiles be like second class in the kingdom of God? And here's a big question. Do Gentiles who come to faith in Christ need to be circumcised? So this gets awkward. So... We need to talk about circumcision because in this short letter that Paul writes, it's mentioned 13 times. That's like a big emphasis. And I understand that many of you probably know what circumcision is, but some of you don't, and you need to know it in order to understand the letter. So what circumcision is, is when you snip a little flap of flesh off the tip of a man's Tom Johnson? I don't know. You understand? There's no seminary class that teaches a pastor how to talk about circumcision to a congregation. That just doesn't exist. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, but but that's what's going on. Now, here's the thing, though. 
To the Jews, it is the sign of the covenant. You, in order to do it, the man and then his family are in that. So that is the way you become a part of the covenant people of God. And so the Jews say that is essential. And as the gospel's going to the Gentiles, they would say that the Gentiles have to be circumcised. Look, uh, after Paul writes a letter, he'll go south down to Jerusalem. There'll be the Jerusalem council. It's talked about in Acts 15. Look at verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. wait a minute, I I don't want to go to hell. I want to reconnect with God. I want Jesus in my life. I want to be a Christian. Okay, grown men. Right? Could you imagine? Could you just imagine? If in order to be a member at Redemption Chapel, do you know how our membership classes would shrink? (laughs) It's just not something we do. If we did, I'd make the associate pastors do it. <laughs> Sorry, it just came to mind. I should stick to the script. All right, but listen, listen, this is happening to grown men. We're not talking babies, okay? These are grown men that are, that are doing this. And so the Judaizers had this message right here, and they are saying it is not enough to have Christ. You must have Moses too. It is not enough to have the cross you must have circumcision too. And it's not enough to have the spirit. You must not eat bacon. That, that's their basic message. Now, don't miss this. The Judaizers believed in Jesus. Right? They believed he's the Messiah. They believed in the crucifixion. They believed in the resurrection. They believed that he is the king. They believe he is coming back. But it's not Jesus only. It's Jesus plus something else. Okay? So Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus some additives. You need Jesus plus, listen, in order to be a mature, a serious, a real Christian, in order to be acceptable to God, in order to be acceptable to us, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need these other things too. It's Jesus plus kind of religion. And Paul would say, that's not the pure gospel. Listen, folks, we just celebrated communion that reminds us of the gospel. You notice there's two elements, right? There's the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. There's not a third element, a little cup of water that symbolizes your sweat that you put into it. There's no third element that involves your effort and your sweat and your works. There's only two elements. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, it's not an issue of what you add to the gospel. It's not an issue of how much you add to the gospel. The problem is that you add one nanogram of anything else to the gospel. That's the problem. And it fundamentally changes it from pure to poison. It fundamentally changes the gospel from life-giving to deadly now, you have, some of you have houses. You can put an addition on your, your house. You can add to your house and it improves it. But not so with the gospel. With the gospel, if you add anything, it defiles it and it destroys it. Why? Because now I'm not putting my faith wholly and completely in the work of Christ, which he did right here. No, I'm putting my faith in that plus the work of Rick. You're putting your faith in your own works. That changes the gospel. And so Paul would say that is a different gospel. That's no gospel at all. That is accursed. And we're not talking about a different denomination. We're talking about a different religion. 
that doesn't cut it. So I heard somebody say that Judaism was the cradle of Christianity, and it almost became its grave. It almost killed us. Now, know this. There will always be false teachers who pervert the gospel. That's always going to happen, and that's not the problem. The problem is when the church or churches start to buy into it. That's the problem. And so Paul, what he does is he gets back to Antioch, to home base there. And as he's there, he starts to get word that these Galatian churches are starting to veer off course, starting to buy into this. And he sees them veering off course. He sees them, they're about to crash into some boulders. Well, speaking of which, watch this video. You're looking at that thinking, hey, isn't that the church's driveway? Yeah. If you're looking at that saying, hey, isn't that Pastor Rick's son's Caleb's car? Yeah. Yeah. You remember he was so excited to get the church key? Showed you the picture of that? So he's driving out of the parking lot, swinging that thing on his finger. It flies off. Now, uh, some of you moms right now are horrified at what I just did. Like, how can you do that to your son? Listen, I never talk, uh, give an example from my kids' lives without asking their permission, but that's not how this went down. In this case, Caleb came to me. Kid you not. Like, he realizes everybody's going to be like, what happened to your car? So he's like, Dad, can you just rip the Band-Aid off? Can you work it into your sermon? <laughs> Happy to serve you, son. Happy to serve. So TJ ripped the video off our uh, cameras and added some sound to it. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, listen, when you were watching that video, though, did you notice something? Like, it almost goes in slow-mo, right? Like, you can see it coming, and you're like, no, 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 no. Like, like you, wanna, you, you almost want to grab the wheel and say, like, some of you are, like, leaning, like, you could change the car, right? I think that's what's going on with the Apostle Paul. Like he hears, I'm weaving it into the sermon. So he hears that, that they are going off course. And he's like, no, 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 you keep going, you're going to crash. And so what he does is he writes the letter to all these churches. We call it Galatians. So he writes this letter to try to get them back on course. He wrote it from Antioch, probably in about 48 AD. It is one of Paul's shortest letters. Uh, it is one of his earliest letters. But at the same time, it's incredibly passionate. He is emotional. His hackles are up. You get the sense this is important. Like something big is on, everything is on the line. The gospel is on the line. And so what he does in this letter is he defends the purity of the gospel. And he will say you do not need to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. That it, it, you do not have to be circumcised. It is not Jesus plus anything. There are no additives. If you do that, that's poison, that's deadly. It ruins it. It ruins it. And of course, it's all about timing, right? 
Gary sent me this meme. The Galatian who was circumcised the day before. <laughs> Paul's new letter arrived. Oh, sorry, buddy. Oh, it's all about the timing. Galatians, I'll tell you what, though, it is a great, great book. It is called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. This is our declaration of liberty and freedom in the gospel. Galatians is also called the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. It was Martin Luther's favorite book. He taught overwhelmingly from it. In fact, here's what Martin Luther said about it. He said, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine von Bora was his wife. I wonder how Catherine felt about that, that statement. Like, can you imagine? I have a new motorcycle. I love it. It's like my Shannon. My wife's coming upside my head if I say that. You know what I mean? Like, so don't do that. Now, um, better than a motorcycle, at least it's a book of the Bible, right? Like, that's a good thing. But he, it was a cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. And to give you a really quick feel for the book, it's six chapters. Break it into chunks of two chapters. The first two chapters our biography. Paul's telling the story behind it. The middle two chapters are theology, what the gospel is really about. And then the last two chapters are ethics, meaning how does the gospel impact our lives and how do we live that out? So that's the overview of it. Now let's give you the first five verses. Here's how it begins. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now then, at first pass, seems like just a typical kind of Pauline introduction to one of his letters. But it actually sets up like the whole letter we're going to study. It sets it up. You notice I highlighted a few words. The first one is apostle. Paul is defending his apostleship. Now, let's talk about what is an apostle. In its broad sense, apostle just means a sent one. Like uh, an ambassador, a missionary, an, an envoy, messenger, something like that. Okay? So that's just a broad sense. Any missionary could say they're an apostle, they're a sent one. But in its narrow sense, in its technical sense, it is an official title for a limited office. And in order to qualify as one of the Christian apostles back in the day, you had to, one, have seen Jesus in the flesh on earth. If you think about it, Jesus went around and picked his apostles, right? Then they walked with him and saw his in the flesh on earth. And the second requirement is you have to be chosen by Jesus himself. And that's why there are no apostles today. That, that office is closed and passed away a long time ago, about 2,000 years. But those are the requirements. Now, the office does carry unique authority. Ephesians 2.20 says that the apostles are the foundation of the church. That sounds like a big deal. And so they had the authority to establish the faith and particularly to have the authority to authenticate the New Testament or write it themselves. 
So, uh, so that's what, when Paul says, I'm an apostle, that's what he's claiming. Now, what the Judaizers are going to do is to mount an ad hominem attack. If you're familiar with rhetorical debate, ad hominem is a, a logical fallacy, and what it literally means is to the man. Ad hominem, to the man, which means if I can't attack your argument, I'll attack you. And I, so I start to point out stuff in your life, and it's like, that's not what we're talking about, right? So I attack the person, or the woman, or the man instead of the argument. And that's what they're going to do. So instead of going toe-to-toe with Paul on the gospel, they're going to say he's not really an apostle. They're going to try to take him out that way. So Paul begins by defending his apostleship. And what he says is it's not from men nor through man. He says it's directly from God. He saw Jesus in the flesh on the Damascus Road experience, and Jesus himself is the one who called Paul to be an apostle. That is direct, and therefore Paul is OG apostle. Right? Like, he's, he's original. Now, the, the thing I don't want you to miss, like, like Paul is not, he doesn't have identity issues. No, no, please believe in me. I'm a real apostle. That's not what's going on. But what he wants to point out is that the gospel is at stake. And so he wants us to understand that the one who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead is the one who stands behind Paul's apostleship, and therefore it's his gospel that Paul is presenting. It's a defense of the gospel. And that gospel is a gospel of grace. So that's the next word about in the middle there that you see highlighted. It's grace. Grace is the basis of the gospel. Now, what grace means is it's, an, it's unmerited favor or an undeserved gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Now, notice something. If something's a free gift and you pay for it, then it is by definition no longer a free gift. It doesn't matter what you pay. It doesn't matter how much you pay. It is that you pay. And now it's destroyed. It's no longer a free gift. Grace is essential for the gospel. Grace plus works does not equal grace. No grace for you. Grace is gone. There's no more grace there. Now, it's not that works are unimportant, okay? Chapters 5 and 6 will talk about how the gospel works itself out in our lives and pushes us to do things, okay? But here's the thing. Our works offered as worship to the one who saved us by grace, that's precious. But our works offered as paying for the free gift or as earning favor with God, that is poison. And that's death. It's all grace. In fact, one of my favorite quotes on this, I've shared with you before by Jonathan Edwards, where he said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You want to know what you brought to the table? Just that. Just that. It's pure. No additives. Now, grace leads to peace. And so you see peace is also highlighted there. Peace is the fruit of the gospel of grace, but only of the gospel of grace. Think about this. If you have to add your works to it, you got questions. Have you done the right works? Have you done enough of the works? Have they compensated for all the bad stuff you did? I don't know if I'm okay with God. Is God happy with me? I have no peace in that. No peace. But if the gospel of grace is wholly based on what Christ already did, and that alone, oh, oh, that's done. So I'm okay. I now have peace with God. Peace flows from grace. 
they go together. And and I'll tell you what, the, it, it is beautiful, but I need you to know it came at a price. Right, so, so if you look in there, it says, the next thing I highlighted is that he gave himself for our sins. That's the price of the gospel. It is 100% pure. There are absolutely no additives, but I need you to know it is not free. Maybe that sounds strange to you. Oh, no, no, it's free to you. Jesus paid. He covered the tab. He gave himself for our sins. Now, notice that's past tense, which means that's complete, that's final. It is finished. And the result is that it says he would then deliver us, to deliver us. Now, notice this. Jesus didn't give himself on the cross for our sins in order to open up the possibility that we might deliver ourselves. That's not what it says. Jesus died on the cross to deliver us, period, done. If you think about, like, you're in a sea of sin and you are drowning and you are going to die. Jesus comes on the scene in a boat, and what he does is he takes this life preserver and he throws it to you, and he says, hey, grab that. If not, there's no way you make it. But if you grab it and then you kick really hard, you might make it to shore without drowning. It's not what he did. If you put your faith in Christ, Jesus rose over to you, he grabs you, he drags you into the boat, and he delivered you. Done. It is finished. He did not make salvation possible. He made salvation secure, complete, and finished. And then you see that it says, second line from the bottom there, according to the will of our God. Which means the gospel is God's idea. When we go through Galatians, do not think that this is like Paul versus the Judaizers. This is the Judaizers versus God. That's who they're up against. And if we're honest, in our broken, fallen world, our tendency is to gravitate towards works. We do it all the time. That's just our inclination. We go towards self-righteousness. We go towards earning God's favor. And we, as humanity, would never, never dream up the gospel of grace. We would have never come up with that one. It's God's idea. It belongs to him. But you know what that means? If it belongs to God, that means we have absolutely no right to add to it or to change it. It's his, not ours. Can't add to it. And then if you look down at the bottom, it brings him glory. Why does it bring God glory? It brings God glory because we didn't do jack squat to earn it. He did all the work, so he gets all the glory. Look, when I walk into heaven, nobody's going to go, hey, congratulations, Rick, good work, man. They're going to go over to Jesus and they're going, are you sure? Oh, okay, well, hey, good work, Jesus. That's pretty amazing. Glory doesn't flow to Rick. Glory flows to Jesus. Why? Because he did all the work. If I get into heaven based on my work, glory goes to me. No glory goes to me. Glory goes to Jesus. See, he gets all the glory. And you got to know this. Listen, glory would never flow to God for a gospel of circumcision. Just think about that. Like, hey, God, that idea you had where, like, the guys have to get circumcised in order to be okay with you, glory to you. Like, there's no worship in that. 
But the countercultural idea of grace, counterintuitive, we would never thought of it. And Jesus paid for all of it? Are you kidding me? Glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus. And then at the very end there, forever and ever, amen. Glory will pour out to God for the gospel for all eternity. Not like for the first few minutes, like for all eternity, glory will pour out to him because of the gospel. And what that means is the gospel is more an issue of the glory of God than it is of our salvation. It's to bring him glory and worship. And that is the beginning of the book. Now, what I want to do is just take a moment and say, hey, uh, does that apply to today or is that just an issue of 2,000 years ago? And I think it's still with us today. Like sometimes you'll hear like, hey, you definitely need the gospel to get started in Christianity. But, but hey, do you want to be a real Christian, a mature Christian, a serious Christian, a committed Christian? Do you want to really be okay with God? Do you want to know that he accepts you? Do you want to be okay with us? Then you must do these things. And so it becomes Jesus plus. Let me show you some Jesus plus. You must agree with us on all gray, debatable, unclear areas. You must agree with us politically. You must display some specific spiritual gift that we've decided on. You, of course, can't have piercings or tattoos. No way. And, and then never drink a glass of wine or beer. Of course, no smoking, dancing, R-rated movies, bikinis, or cussing. That's right out. You got to get baptized. You got to use the right Bible translation. You should probably go on some mission trips. And by the way, you know, a quiet time is when you get with God in the morning, get in his word and pray. Like, you've got to have a quiet time every morning or God is mad at you. Jesus plus these things. Sometimes it's called legalism. It, you hear in there legal or law. It's about the laws, the rules. These are rules that we make up. I define legalism as making rules where God has not. God hasn't made rules there, but we made them up. And now we use those rules to sort Christians into varsity and junior varsity. And we use those rules to say this is the basis for your acceptance to God, and this is the basis for your acceptance to us to fellowship with us. Now listen, we have rules for leadership, yeah, but not for fellowship, no. Now the problem is that some of those things are good things. Some of you are like, yeah, tattoos. <laughs> it's good. But, but um, no, like getting baptized, that's a good thing. Spending time with the Lord, that's a good thing. It's good, it's good, it's good. It's necessary. Oops, wait a minute. And, and so what we do is we add them to the gospel. But remember, it's not about what you add. It's not about how much you add. It's that you add one nanogram of anything at all. And it destroys the gospel. It takes it from pure to poison, from life-giving to death. And so Paul ain't having it. And the gloves come off. He is going to be very spicy in this letter. At one point, he will call the Galatians foolish. Apostle should never say that. He calls them foolish. He says that they are bewitched. <laughs> in, in some of the later chapters, he basically implies that the false teachers should go all the way and emasculate themselves. Oh yeah, that's in there. We'll get to that. But he, he's spicy because he's defending the gospel. 
And the gospel is worth fighting for. Listen, all human history before Christ points forward to the gospel. All human history after his resurrection points back to the gospel. It is the centerpiece of all human history. It is everything it is worth fighting for. The purity of the gospel. It's our only hope. But before finishing, I want to make sure you notice this. Paul doesn't write Galatians to the Judaizers. He doesn't write it to non-Christians. He's writing about the gospel to Christians. And that is because we never graduate from the gospel. We never move on from the gospel. I hope as we go through Galatians, the redemption chapel, that we fall more in love with the pure gospel of grace because it can change us. It can change us. It'll change your life. You'll end up free like you never understood before. It can change your heart. Because in our heart, we either go towards pride, look how good I am at keeping the rules. Or we go towards self-loathing, I'm horrible at keeping the rules. Those are your options. And you know what the gospel of grace, it gets rid of both of those. It can change your heart. It can change your relationship with God. You, you learn that you are actually secure, but not because of you, so you're also humble. You're both secure and humble in your relationship with God. It can change you. It can change your identity. You no longer have to prove yourself. And it can change how we treat each other. Because as I experience freedom, I give freedom away. And we don't have to be petty, and we don't have to be judgy, and we can actually love each other through the mess. That's the people we want to be. That's the church we want to be. And it flows from the 100% pure gospel of grace. No additives. And I'm looking forward to this journey with you. So let me pray. Father, thank you very much for the opportunity that we have to just be your kids by grace. And Lord, we want to take a moment and just repent before you because we admit we have a tendency to gravitate towards works, to add to your glorious, beautiful gospel. We have no right. And it just turns it into poison and it poisons our own lives and other people and we repent of that. And would you teach us through your great book of Galatians, would you teach us once again the pure, beautiful gospel of grace? Not for an intellectual exercise, but that you would change our lives in the process. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.